G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to turn our attention today to a puzzling question for many, how to find yourself. Some of the biggest issues of our generation involve our identity, like our sexuality, our race, our family, our country and our very soul. Well, in an age where identity is everything, perhaps it has never been quite so important to know who you are. Our special guest today recently released a book in which he questions whether the advice to look inward is the best way to find a stable and satisfying sense of your identity. Perhaps there is a better way. Well, our special guest, Dr. Brian Rosner, has written more than a dozen books and his latest one is called How to Find Yourself. Brian Rosner is principal of Ridley College in Melbourne and he's getting ready to deliver the 2022 New College Lecture tomorrow night in the main common room of New College at the University of New South Wales. Dr. Brian Rosner, a special welcome along to 2020. Oh, thanks so much, Neil. It's great to be with you. Uh, Brian, uh, one reviewer of your new book says, if you want to understand this cultural moment we're in, pay close attention to this book. It's all about personal identity, and perhaps we'll get on to some of the controversies that are in the news even today, but uh, your book is very timely for understanding where we're at and uh, our personal identity. I think that's true. Um, lots of people these days give the best advice they can think of in terms of be true to yourself, know who you are, be yourself. So uh, Dylan Alcott, uh, the excellent uh, disabled tennis player who was Australian of the Year, I believe, this year, he gave this advice. He said, be yourself and watch your world change. The hardest thing to understand is that it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, so you see it everywhere. Everyone seems to be saying, you do you. And uh, be yourself. You can see it on gyms and school brochures, um, everything from uh, high literature uh, to the movies have the same idea. Uh, You do you. uh, Be true to yourself. Follow your heart, as you say. That's everywhere. And you're questioning whether that actually is the right way to establish a personal identity. Uh, Let's, early on in our conversation, Brian, let's talk about where you're standing on this, and we can unpack some of this, and some listeners will no doubt be very interested in, uh, because some of those sorts of sayings, as you say, are everywhere. Uh, What's wrong with those? Uh, It's a good question, Neil, because I, I suppose we should say up front there are some benefits to the main way to find yourself these days, which is by by looking inward. So there are some uh, sectors of society, some communities who feel marginalised and this this new approach uh, has the benefit of inclusion. Uh, self-reflection is obviously a good thing too. You, you want to know who you are, what your, what your gifts are, what your personality is like. And I think too, the notion of authenticity, being true to yourself is clearly a good thing. We, we don't want to be phonies or fakes. 
But I guess the main problem is by only looking inward, it's not true to human nature. Because to find ourselves, we really look in other directions, not just inward. The main directions are around to our relationships. So we're, we're, we're social beings. We come to know ourselves by being known by others. And then we also connect into stories. Our lives are stories. We look backwards and forwards to defining moments and the destiny of some sort. And uh, the Christian faith has an important uh, contribution to both those directions. But that, that's really what I'm arguing in a nutshell, that just looking inward is inadequate because it's not true to human nature. No doubt our conversation will move towards uh, as a Christian believer finding your identity in Christ. And I don't think listeners will mind us saying uh, that uh, early on in the conversation. But just to pick up on some of these things that you're saying here, Brian, about those who are around us, uh, in fact, understanding what others might think of us, the perceptions that they have. Uh, these sorts of in-between or, uh, you know, getting a context for who you are, those are important elements as well. Oh, absolutely. And and if you're married, you'll know that you really find out about yourself, don't you, sometimes quite painfully uh, with interactions with your spouse. And uh, uh, psychologists used to talk about the looking glass self in the early 20th century. So you know yourself by having your identity reflected back to you. And certainly, uh, there's all sorts of research that shows that uh, we're impacted by other people, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way we're wired. Uh, most other parts of the world, traditional societies, understand this much better than we do. They, they have a more communitarian approach to identity. The idea that we're all isolated individuals, buffered from any external uh, factors or influences, it, it's really a bit silly. Um, well, one, one illustration I use is uh, we tend to think of ourselves these days as kind of soaring eagles eyeing our prey from a great height, whereas the truth is we're like honking geese. We're, we're, we do best when we're flying in formation. We're interdependent. Uh, we're connected to each other with indissoluble ties. And as any goose will tell you, it's the only way to fly. We do best when flying in formation. And uh, perhaps we'll pick up on some more of those things as our conversation develops. Brian, you've got your own story to tell too. Uh, You've, uh, you know, obviously uh, you've come through teenage years and uh, you've got a career underway. And, uh, you know, I don't know all of your whole story, but... But you actually, uh, as I understand it, in your book, uh, you were describing your own personal identity crisis as well. I wonder if you can give us a little account of of your journey of discovery. Yes, I think, uh, Neil, let's face it, any any discussion of the notion of personal identity is uh, necessarily personal. And um, I'm an academic, so I'm interested in... uh, Um, modern society and culture, the history of thought and all that kind of thing. But the truth is I got into this subject, as you say, through a crisis of identity uh, of my own. Um, Back in the mid-90s, I was living in Aberdeen in Scotland. I was teaching at the university there. I uh, had a stable family life with three children and married. And uh, all, all sorts of different parts of my life were in place. And um, much to my uh, surprise, my wife left me and the children, and I was a single parent for some years, uh, and it just shook me to the core. I remember one day I was sitting in the car waiting for the um, rear view, uh, for the windscreen to the mist, which happens, of course, in Scottish weather quite often, 
And I looked up in the mirror and didn't know who, who I was. So it was kind of a stranger in the mirror. It, it was a very unnerving experience. But what I've found over the years is in doing the research for this kind of topic and in talking to lots of different people, all sorts of people in our day are wondering, who am I really? So people wonder, who am I really when one of their parents dies, uh, when they keep moving jobs, uh, when they're single, when they wanted to be married, uh, when they retire, when they had some health crisis, obviously relational relationship breakdown as well. So um, one author put it that uh, the West is suffering from a kind of um, um, identity crisis across the board. There's an epidemic which is quite ironic, isn't it? Because on the one hand, society is saying there's nothing more important than to know who you are. But on the other hand, it seems to be harder than ever to know who you are with any certainty or stability. Brian, which generation do you think is affected most? I'm assuming it's going to be young people in those formative years. Your own story, though, is uh, is as a married man with three children and uh, faced an identity crisis uh, in recognition that not everything worked out the way you thought it was going to work out. Uh, but which generation do you think is most affected? Well, I, I think you're right. Young people in particular are at the pointy end of the movement. The movement's come, sometimes called expressive individualism, where you look inside yourself to find out who you are and you uh, live an authentic existence, you resist all external authority, your emotions become primary for finding yourself. But as I said, it, it, it does seem to be affecting all sorts of people. So in the past, you'd get your identity during your two, uh, from your parents. And then in your teenage years, you, you sort of either accept that or revise it or reject it. And then you just travel along quite happily until maybe midlife when you might have another crisis and, and buy a, um, a Ferrari or do something silly. And then soon after you retire, you, you, you die. But these days, you can have a crisis at any point and almost for any reason, because we've got this idea that we invent ourselves. We're, we're self-made selves. So people can have a crisis in their uh, 20s and 30s. People can have a crisis. It's sometimes called cuspiety when you turn 40, 50, 60. Um, you're on the cusp of a new decade. Uh, people can have a crisis when they retire and, you know, their whole life's been about their existence in a particular occupation. Well, who, who am I now that I'm retired? I don't have that occupation. So it, it's, it's affecting all sorts of people. But I think you're right. It, in particular, it's young people who are uh, defining themselves online uh, through uh, social media and who are hearing these messages from all sorts of directions, all sorts of people. I'll give you one more example. So um, Megan Markle, um, recently released her podcast, uh, which is called um, Archetypes. And this is what she said right at the beginning. She said, listen, listeners can expect the real me. I'm just excited to be myself. And just maybe one more example, Taylor Swift, uh, obviously um, a country and Western popular music star in the US. Uh, she got an honorary doctorate, believe it or not, from New York University a few months back. And at the speech, she said, we're so many things all the time. I know it can be overwhelming figuring out who to be. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. So I guess I, I want to push back against that and say, well, actually, it's not totally up to you because you're a social being. We're connected to other people. 
And uh, even your life story is not an individual story. We tend to plug into bigger stories, shared stories. Yeah, so that, that's basically my answer. It, it's affecting all sorts of people, but young people in particular. When you talk about individualism, I think you said uh, expressive individualism, it sounds a little bit like uh, there's a sort of an Eastern mystical connection here. Is this something like, you know, people uh, following New Age and those sorts of things over decades now? Is there some connection, do you think, with a movement away from perhaps what we understand as knowing the God of the Bible uh, to uh, exploring all sorts of other things? Is there something Eastern in there? Um, I don't think the Eastern dimension is a big one, actually. It, it seems to be limited to the Western cultures around the world, especially the English-speaking ones. Um, but, but certainly, as you say, the God of the Bible has a lot to say about our identity. This is one of the joys of the research I got to do. You know, you go back to the Bible and you think, well, wonder does it say anything about identity that's helpful? What, 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 what are we going to do with this issue that's only really arisen in the last few decades? And just to give you, in a nutshell, uh, we, we're known in our social relationships by others. The thing that brought me great comfort and uh, probably prevented me from coming off the rails and getting really depressed was this idea of being known intimately and personally by God as his child. So one of the great blessings of the gospel is that we're adopted into God's family. And as it turns out, the notion of being known by God, not, not the idea of God knowing everyone all the time in all places, but the idea of personal knowledge is, is a really wonderful biblical idea. Because when you look at it, across the Bible, the main characters, Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, the church, and Israel, are all said to be known by God. I'll give you one example. In Galatians 4, Paul says to the new Galatian Christians, at one time you didn't know God, now you do know God. Or rather, you're known by God. And that intimate personal knowledge from God our Father gives us our identities and it stabilizes us. It helps us to see how to conduct ourselves, gives us a future uh, tied up with the Lord Jesus himself. So, Brian, when you can find yourself in a position where you recognize you are known by God and uh, you're usually going to find that in a sense of community, in that community we might call it the church, if you're deliberately rejecting God, rejecting the church, what's the alternative look like? Uh, give us some insights into what happens to your life when you reject this intimacy being known by God. Yeah, I think it's hard to generalise, but, but the main critiques I bring out in the book of the self-made self are that it's fragile, so it's not a stable and satisfying sense of self over time. And it's also kind of failing to lead to the good life. So suffering and disappointment, you don't really have resources to deal with those things. Pride and envy, um, uh, the, the weak and lowly people you run across, all those things are not dealt with well, in my view, uh, without this, uh, this, this kind of Christian worldview that I'm talking about. I think that one of the benefits of the church is it gives us a different story to live within. So outside the church, there are not that many stories on offer. The big ones have to do with secular materialism. So basically, um, God doesn't exist. Material things are all there is. And that really does lead to, uh, at least logically, 
it leads to a seeking after material things as an end in themselves. Um, but the church gives us a different story to live by. We kind of get connected to the Jesus story. And we see this with baptism, of course, where we're baptized into Christ's death that we sort of rise with him. So the, the defining moment of a Christian's life in terms of their identity is something that happened a long time ago. It's Jesus dying and rising and us dying and rising to new life with him. And then our destiny also defines us in the present. So when Christ returns and Jesus is seen to be the true and unique son of God, we'll also, if we put our trust in him, be seen to be God's people, God's children also. And that makes such a world of difference to how we live in the present. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Our special guest is Dr. Brian Rosner. He has written more than a dozen books. His latest one's called How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We'll take some calls in just a few moments. But, uh, Brian, let's talk just briefly here, perhaps about people who... Uh, who don't see any need for God at all. And in some ways, uh, that is a little bit restrictive because then you've got to make your own self-identity. Thoughts here about uh, people who don't see any need for God? Yeah, it's a good good question, really. Really, so far what I've been arguing is that we're social beings. We find ourselves by looking to our relationships and ultimately to our relationship with God. And we're also storytelling beings that uh, we look to bigger stories to plug into. And the Christian story is the one that Christians believe is the most satisfying. But there's another direction, really, which I haven't mentioned directly, and that is um, we look up. Now, most people in Australia might say, well, looking up, in terms of religion at least, seems to be in decline. The truth is, though, spirituality is not in decline. And people have been predicting the end of religion for decades, even centuries, And it just doesn't seem to happen. Let me give you one example. So Arthur Stace, uh, uh, he was um, an illiterate alcoholic, uh, mid-20th century in Sydney. He went along to St. Barney's on Broadway, and he heard a sermon from Ecclesiastes on the text, God has put eternity in our hearts. He became a Christian. It transformed his life. Then three or four decades, he went around the city writing in chalk on the footpaths the word eternity. Do you know the story, Neil? I know the story well, and uh, I think there's a film being made about that right now. Fantastic. But what I love is this. At the turn of the millennium, Sydney, of course, has a wonderful celebration on the 1st of January each year. But the biggest one ever was the year 2000, 1st of January. They emblazoned on the Harbour Bridge the word eternity in the same handwriting that Arthur Stace had used when he'd written it all over the city for those many years. And what what I find really interesting is, if we don't look up, then why weren't people unhappy about the notion of eternity? Without God, we should have written up this thing like oblivion. Um, but, But no one gave a squeak of complaint, because I think it's true. All of us have this sense of something more, something beyond this world. The the deepest yearnings of our hearts for justice, for beauty, for hope, are really only satisfied by the true and living God. And if we don't look to the true and living God to satisfy them, Christians believe, and I think this is right, we will look to idols that will fail to give us the satisfaction that we're looking for. 
We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Brian, let's take a call from Rowan on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Rowan. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Um, great conversation, must say. Um, I just had a quick question, but before that, I just wanted to share uh, my story. Um, with identity, I kind of had a problem earlier on when uh, I was growing up. Um, my parents were doing a mission. Um, they were doing some mission in Kenya. So I grew up in Kenya most of my life, probably 15 years. Um, so when we were in Kenya, I think, because um, I am originally from India, I was born there. And my parents were sent to Kenya to do mission work. So growing up within that community, I had a problem with identity. And, and for me, I think a lot of that problem came with acceptance. Uh, people were not accepting who I was. And uh, of course, I spoke the Kenyan language and I wanted to blend in in the society. And, and a lot of that, um, I wanted to be one of them. So because um, that's the only culture I grew up with, I, I didn't know anything else apart from that. Of course, my parents taught me the Indian culture growing up, but it was not as strong as the Kenyan culture because I spent almost 24 hours in Kenya. Um, so my question would be, um, how does acceptance from people, uh, uh, does it significantly affect your identity? Uh, Brian, a thought or two for Rowan. Yes, yes. Thanks, Rowan. That's a really fascinating story. You've raised a number of things there. I think you're right that culture makes a big difference to identity. And each of us have a number of dimensions to our identity. Um, father was an Austrian Jew who became a Christian in China and then moved to Australia. Uh, grew up in working class Sydney. So your, your gender, your age, your cultural background, all of these things um, have a big impact on who we are. But interestingly, the Bible puts it slightly differently. It says these things are important for your identity, but they're not all important. There's something else that kind of puts a colour across all the other ones, namely that you're a child of God. With the idea of belonging, I think that's a really key one, actually. So identity, all of us have this desire to belong, don't we? And I, I think the idea that we're self-made selves, that we belong to ourselves, is ultimately unsatisfying. So Paul puts it beautifully in, in a text in 1 Corinthians where he says, you are not your own. Now, these days, that sounds like heresy, doesn't it? To say that you belong, you don't belong to yourself sounds like you're oppressed. But the truth is, there are some contexts in which belonging to, to someone else or to other people is a really beautiful thing. And it's got to do with love. So if, if you belong in a community where you're accepted and loved, that will have a big impact on your identity. And uh, belonging to God and being loved eternally by him is, is really the key in the end to that uh, sense of community. So Paul goes on, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. So the, the greatest thing in our lives in terms of our identity is all back to the cross and to see how much we were worth to God. The fact that he died, he sent his son to die for us and uh, that expressed his great love. I mean, having uh, different cultural backgrounds, Rowan, is always going to be a challenge. I, I don't want to minimise that. So I've lived overseas um, in, in the US, Scotland, England, and in Germany. And I, I know a little bit of what you're talking about, I guess. And uh, feeling like you don't belong is a really difficult thing. But the best part of church life, it doesn't always work this way, I admit, but the best part of church life is where you're accepted for who you are and you're encouraged to put on that new identity of being a child of God and then behave accordingly. 
Uh, Rowan, is that helpful? Have you uh, processed these sorts of things uh, with your own uh, thoughts about uh, who you are and your own identity? Have, have you come through that, do you think, in an adequate sort of a way? Yeah, um, I would say this is helpful, yeah. Um, I, I, To be honest, I did not look into the Bible about my identity until later on, most of my teenage, like late teenage years when I um, drew more close to God. Um, but I, I would say when I was not close to God, because I remember there's a verse in John that says, you know, you, you, you're accepted by God, you're accepted by Christ. And that kind of boosted my morale when it comes to identity. Uh, and, you know, there's always like, I always grew up with uh, not knowing who I was. And, um, you know, it's just like, oh, I, I don't fit in kind of um, thing. But I think later on, uh, coming closer to God and reading His Word and knowing that I'm accepted by Him helped me a lot. So I do encourage everyone who's listening to kind of look into their identity through a biblical perspective. I know it'll be hard because some people have called me a fanatic because I quite literally, uh, you know, follow the Word of God, and and that's okay. I think um, there will be people criticizing when you do the right thing. Rowan, uh, thank you so much for a great contribution to our conversation today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in. You might have your own story to tell briefly, and uh, we'll get a perception from our special guest. Before we take any more calls, though, uh, Brian, uh, sometimes when you are the person who has turned away from God or not yet discovered this identity and you've got your self-made self, your self-made identity, uh, all of a sudden you feel threatened or under attack, even when it comes uh, to those who actually have got their identity in Christ. Things are changing dramatically and uh, they're all flying in formation. If you're on the outer, all of a sudden you've got this polarization happening. Any thoughts here for how people are very sensitive when they've they've formed their own personal identity apart from Christ and they feel threatened? Yes, Neil, I mean, that's that's a good question. And I, I think churches have to be places of unconditional welcome. So we need to be saying to people, you're, you're welcome to be among us to explore uh, the, the, uh, the story that we're telling and uh, to realise, hopefully, to recognise it, its value. Um, it, it's... Um, it, not all churches do this well. I mean, I visit churches occasionally. One of the things I like to do is just sit there after a church, uh, after church, and see how many people welcome me. But but the welcome we offer each other at church should be a reflection of the welcome that God has offered us. So we're to welcome one another as we've been welcomed by God uh, into His family. I think for someone who's not familiar with the Christian message, um, the the best advice I guess is to, is to read about Jesus. Right at the heart of human identity, Christian identity, is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the Gospels are a great place to start. So I, I think anyone can pick up a Gospel and have a read, and uh, it, it can make a huge difference. I'll give you one example of one thing Jesus said that relates directly to the identity crisis we're in at the moment. Um, in all four Gospels, he said something like this, whoever finds themselves will lose themselves, but whoever loses themselves for my sake will find themselves. So again, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? The way to find yourself is to um, look to serve others in love, and then you will actually find yourself. 
So finding yourself, is, it, it's a bit like wanting to get a good night's sleep. You don't get a good night's sleep by trying really hard. You get a good night's sleep by doing other things. So the identity we're all looking for, that stable and satisfying sense of self, is available to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And the way to, do, to, to, to enter that identity is to give ourselves up to God, to admit to him that we don't have it in ourselves to define ourselves, but we need to look outside of ourselves uh, for help. Brian, it's profound, isn't it? Uh, the wisdom. And as we're saying, not everyone has discovered that yet. Not everyone, just like our last caller, uh, hadn't discovered that until later on and then began to explore those uh, truths from the Bible. But the thought of our identity actually bringing uh, something special for our lives, uh, things like a, a higher purpose, a greater purpose for our life, uh, identifying together, as you were saying, flying in formation. These sorts of things are real assets and benefits to us as we live our lives. I think that's true. Uh, Tim Keller's got a lovely little book. I, I love the title. The title's worth the price of the book. It's called The, uh, the Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. And it, it kind of keys into that paradox that I just mentioned with Jesus, that when we forget about ourselves and serve others in love, we're found, which is better than finding yourself, to be found by God is, is really the key to an established and satisfying sense of self. And uh, Brian, before we go any further, why don't we take a call from another listener? Sandy is in Melbourne. Hi, Sandy. Welcome. Hi, um, Neil, and hi, Dr. Rosner. Thanks for taking my call. Um, now, this is one of my uh, one of my favorite topics in the sense I'm a 65 year old uh, female yep. uh, from an ethnic background, um, and I find that mostly among Christians, um, the uh, issue that in terms of how people feel is um, is not really knowing their identity in Christ in the sense. They don't really have when people haven't come to a place that, where they are where they feel loved by the by their savior. They don't have the confidence yet in who they are in Christ. And so, in my personal experience, I I used to be very shy and withdrawn when I was growing up. I am not um, from a personality type where, um, you know, some children are more outgoing than others. But as I grew older, um, <clears throat> people around me are even surprised at how confident I am. And many, many, even in my um, extended family who knew me as a youngster growing up, um, have commented about how confident I was. But I always say my confidence is not in myself, but in my God. Um, Sandy, so, you've got a beautiful yeah. story there, and uh, you might have a whole lot more to share, but there's uh, some things we can work with there. Uh, Dr. Brian Rosner, what are your thoughts for Sandy? Is she sharing her story about a confidence that she gains knowing her identity in Christ? Yes. Uh, hi, Sandy. It was lovely to hear uh, just that brief snippet of your life story. And I think what you're bringing out is that um, being a child of God, being known intimately and personally by him and living within the story of Jesus Christ really does transform yeah. us. And, and and the identity is a gift, but it doesn't stop there. So I love the way Paul says this in, in Colossians and Ephesians, where to put on the new self. 
And we do that through different ways, by uh, uh, communion, by hearing God's word, by praying, also by living the gospel, by uh, um, having that sense of security and being loved to such an extent that we can serve others in love. And I think that that's really the basis for your confidence, as you've described it. It was, it was wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. Sandy, is that helpful? Yes, thank you. I just wanted to share because, as I said, it's, it's one thing that I, I share with others who, are, who f- feel not confident or they get offended all the time about whatever situation they are in. So that's one thing I always encourage people with out of my own experience. So, yeah, thank you for Wonderful. taking the call. Sandy, thank you so mm-hmm. much for Sandy. your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. And let me just throw us into some deep water here for a moment. And your thoughts, Brian, I mean, you're living in Melbourne. I don't know whether you're a supporter of the Essendon Football Club, but, uh, but <laughs> there's a... Okay, well, there's a very, very, very big controversy that has boiled over the former banking boss, Andrew Thorburn, uh, who believes his Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square after he resigned as the CEO of uh, the Essendon Football Club, was only in the job for something like 30 hours. There's a clash of identity here because here you've got a football club celebrating all of this self-made identity, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, leads to uh, the thoughts of inclusion and diversity. And uh, those have got particular meanings there. But here you have a Christian believer who has an identity in Christ who is rejected by uh, this other self-made identity focus. Any thoughts here on what has been developing? Yes, thanks, Neil. Uh, um, Andrew Thorburn, I actually know him a little bit. And the first thing to say is how sad I am for him and for the club, to be honest. He's an excellent leader. I think he would have done an excellent job. So a few things to say. One is that um, I find it really odd he was kind of guilty by association just because he went to a church that said a couple of things that someone objected to. Um, the truth is that the proof of the pudding is in the eating in our lives. So the fruit of our lives is what we should be looking at, not not some ticking some box about uh, uh, one thing or another. And Andrew served as the CEO of the uh, NAB, as you mentioned, with tens of thousands of employees. And as I understand it, he was never... Um, accused of discrimination or prejudice. I mean, as he says in his statement, he, he attempted at all times to create an inclusive and welcoming culture for, for the different workplaces. Um, the whole controversy really does, though, get to the heart of what we've called expressive individualism. It's basically when people look inside themselves and pick one aspect, their gender, their ethnicity, maybe their sexuality in this case is what really is at the heart of it, and, and people end up thinking of their lives as a story of discrimination and prejudice. So for some reason, in our world, being a victim has become a really uh, powerful status to hold. And people who have a different sexuality who think differently about those things are often depicted as being victims of all sorts of things in society. But I, think, I, I just think it's unfair on Andrew to paint him with that brush. I, I, I think uh, there's a better story to tell and the story that uh, he would want to tell that I, I am also committed to is the inclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus where all of us are included 
in God's family, no matter what our gender, ethnicity, sexuality, or whatever. And, and that unconditional acceptance by God's love then defines us. And it makes a difference to all the other roles we have in life, whether as a leader or as a, a parent, a friend, a child, um, a worker. All of those things end up being impacted in one way or another by that new identity as we, as we put on the new self. So, yes, I, I'm really sad today thinking about Andrew's treatment, but I'm also inspired, I guess, because Andrew was given the opportunity to kind of uh, throw his church under the bus and to keep the job. Uh, he didn't do that. So he, he basically said, look, uh, being a Christian is central to who I am. And, and, and that was the decision he made. So I, I find that really brave and encouraging. So the strength that he gets from his personal identity in Christ, strong enough to even resist, as you say, throwing his own church under the bus and standing for something which he knows has an eternal value to it, it's, it's eternally right. Uh, interestingly, uh, the only true inclusiveness, and uh, we were talking about this just a little earlier, just before the news, and saying that, the, the church really is a place where it is very inclusive. Now, it gets a little bit exclusive if that person who's really radical gets to try and move into a leadership uh, ladder climb, but the, the, the ordinary people who are in the pews of church, this is the most inclusive environment on earth, I suspect, uh, the only one that's tried and proven over 2,000 years. Any thoughts here on inclusiveness and the church and how what's happened uh, with Andrew Thorburn certainly is uh, not nothing to do with inclusivity? Yes, I think... Um um, my, my experience of the church throughout my life has been very positive. I've been to church in several different countries. Um, none of them are perfect, of course, and, and sometimes the church needs to apologise for bad behaviour. But the church is one of the very few things in society that's cross-generational, that welcomes people of all backgrounds ethnic, and ethnicities. So I think it's just such a wonderful thing when you go to church and people from different backgrounds who would not normally belong together are united on an equal basis in one body. There's great resources in the Bible for fostering that kind of church life. I love in James where it says, if a rich person comes into your church, you don't give them the best seat of the house. You treat them no differently than if a homeless person comes in. So it, it is a kind of uh, um, levelling of society and a community in which we all come together, admitting our own faults because we confess our sins every week, but basking in the acceptance we have in God's love and serving him and other people um, as best we can by his powers and uh, provision. My suspicion is that there could be some difficult rocky roads ahead for some now, and uh, this may well just be uh, the genie out of the bottle in that sense, uh, excusing that uh, that analogy there. But uh, the thought that if you're going to take on the identity, the identity of Christ, if you're going to identify with him, uh, with God, uh, in some sense, you don't just believe on Jesus, but you believe what Jesus believes. So you believe what Jesus believes about a whole lot of things that are bringing us into conflict ethically with some of the ways that our society is changing very dramatically right now. Any thoughts here for you know where you might stand if you decide to get your identity in Christ, uh, that there might be some challenging times? Well, I think that that's a fair point. We don't want to give the impression that... Uh uh, the new identity we have in Christ leads to an easy life. On the contrary, the Bible 
actually warns us, Jesus himself warns us, that there will be opposition. Um, the, the, the way forward, I guess, is, is to recognise what really defines us. So who am I really? So am I a, a principal of a college? Is that really at the heart of who I am? Am, am I a father, a husband, a friend? Um, and Christian gives a different answer to those questions, which I think in the end gives us a stable and satisfying sense of self, one where we can miss out on things in life because we're serving God and we believe that God has a bigger plan for our lives. So the Christian admits that we're not the author of our own lives, that God has a plan. So rather than being the star of the show, um, I've got a bit part in God's grand story of redemption. It's it's a much better story to be living a part in, and uh, it it has the solutions I think to the, uh, the the ills of our society. If if lived properly, it can deal with people who feel excluded. It 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 can include them and uh, help them to feel a part of something much bigger than themselves, which in the end is more satisfying. Brian, no doubt uh, even those who find their identity in Christ uh, are challenged with feelings and as you were saying a little earlier, your own identity crisis, uh, when you're thrown into something you did not expect, you did not have any control over, your feelings tend to want to take over but there's a certain sense here feelings in submission to what is true defined by God has to give us some level of uh, substance or some level of foundation. Any, any thoughts here on how you might process your feelings when you're thinking about your own identity? Yes, I think uh, psychologists tell us that um, anxiety and depression are in part um, the result of feeling isolated and hopeless. And um, the Christian message is its a wonderful message in this regard, and I found it personally very helpful when my life went on the ra- went off the rails back in the mid nineties, as I mentioned earlier, so one verse that really helped me was um, from an Old Testament prophet, uh, Nahum one verse eight, which says, "The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him." And the Bible has some great resources for dealing with those kind of negative emotions. The Psalms are full of uh, almost like complaints to God, where we express our our frustrations, our losses, uh, our, our pain. But they all, all those psalms also end with the reassurance of God's love and that he has a plan for our lives. So being known intimately and personally by God, I think, is one of the ways to deal with those emotions. But, I, but I'm sure you're right, Neil. Uh, without some kind of resources for dealing with negative emotions, they can tend to take over our lives. And to base your life on your emotions, which is really what, the message of our world is today, it, it, it's really bad advice in the end. Uh, using the Bible to process identity. Uh, this is one of those things, isn't it? I guess when we're thinking about my identity in Christ, uh, dying to self, coming alive in Christ, taking on his identity, believing what Jesus believes, uh, when you're reading the Bible, uh, keeping an eye out for those things which will be impressing on us, Brian, uh, how our identity changes because being transformed into the image of Christ is is one of those things that is a process, no doubt, but it comes because we're accessing God's word, uh, trying to think his thoughts after him. Any thoughts here about how that identity begins to change in us? 
Yeah, that's 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 exactly right, Neil. So the Bible sometimes is compared to a mirror. You sort of look in the mirror and you see yourself as you need to be changed, but also you see yourself as you are in God's eyes. So a couple of examples for that would be the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew says that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, in what you eat and what you wear. And without God in our lives, it's so tempting to think that uh, material possessions are an end in themselves. But you can almost translate that verse, your identity does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, in what you eat and what you wear. So I think there's all sorts of things in the Bible that relate to identity. There's many times where you get the language of uh, you are, so you are the people of God, you are a royal priesthood, you are the bride of Christ, you are the body of Christ, um, you, you are the sheep in God's flock. All of those things are really helpful at times when we're wondering about our identities. And reading them and embracing them and making them the way we think about ourselves is really key to putting on the new self of being in Christ. And I think it makes a world of difference. Uh, when we can do that. We can do that through our own personal Bible reading, but also through um, hearing the Bible preached uh, and uh, expounded in Bible studies and at church. I guess we've only got a few minutes left for our conversation, Brian. Uh, But when we're talking about uh, his image, uh, the image of Christ, uh, and that being, you know, uh, contrasted to the image we might create ourselves, our self-made image, which and uh, and every Christian believer will be thinking, well, I'm uh, I'm trying to align with Christ. Yes, it sometimes is da- is hard, but I'm not so attracted necessarily to uh, those things where other people are trying to align themselves uh, outside of Christ. The value that we find in taking on his image. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here because this is the sort of thing that gives us confidence, as one of our earlier callers said, uh, the thing that gives us an ability to sustain through difficult times because we know that we're tightly held in his palm. His image is in us. Any thoughts here for those valuable things that we can really glean from being someone who is uh, being transformed into his image? Yes, uh, the image of God is such a wonderful truth, isn't it? It, it, It's really the basis in Western civilization for the notion that every individual has dignity and worth. Um, People who are not Christians uh, don't really, often they don't realize that. So Western culture has been formed by the Christian story and the Christian faith in some profound ways. And one of them is this idea of being made in the image of God, which gives us great value and dignity. And then when you get to the New Testament, as you say, it's uh, that, that image which was marred by Adam's sin back in the garden is now being restored, not just as the image of God, but with more content, as the image of Christ. Uh, I think of the Lord's Prayer, for example, which many Christians pray quite regularly. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. And And if you read over that, it, it's got a lot to say to our world about how to find yourself and how to live in a way that uh, is part of God's bigger story. Because it's about your kingdom come rather than my kingdom come. Your will be done rather than my will be done. And uh, we ask for our daily bread. In other words, we don't expect necessarily to be rich and affluent. Uh, We ask God to forgive our sins so we recognize that what we find in ourselves sometimes is, is not that good. 
And uh, we ask God to deliver us from evil. Um, and, and at the end, we affirm that the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. So living as part of that story, being transformed in the, into the image of Christ, uh, ends up being the way to live if you're a believer. And I would argue it's, it's a more satisfying and uh, stable way to live, a more fruitful way to live than simply looking inwards and uh, inventing yourself. And if we think of the strength of Western civilization, as you're reflecting on there, it's come because people have been flying in formation and aligning with the identity we're talking about today. Those values, those things that come from aligning to the image of Christ. If you move away from that, or as things are uh, seem to be happening now, Brian, uh, things might change dramatically for the worse uh, because of moving away from this image. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So Stan Grant, uh, the Indigenous uh, journalist and academic, a brilliant fellow, wrote an article, article a few months ago called The Death of God. And he says exactly what you've just said. He says that modern individualism is impoverishing the content and character of our collective life. And he thinks what we've replaced God with is, is nothing. So without God in our world, we're really left to our own devices. Um, I, I think I think that's exactly right, and uh, the kind of hope that people are looking for, the uh, the desire to be something to be part of something bigger than ourselves, which gives our lives value, is on offer to us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Well, wonderful insights today, Dr. Brian Rosner, and uh, even as we've been talking about issues around sexuality and uh, really just started to touch on issues around race, uh, there's all sorts of uh, impacts on different dimensions of our lives, and uh, no doubt we might have to get together another day and uh, explore some of those others. But just to say for listeners today, you can connect with Dr. Brian Rosner, He's the principal at Ridley College. You can find a Ridley College website. Just Google that online and find out what they have on offer. So far as studies go, ridley.edu.au actually is the website address. But he's going to be the special keynote speaker tomorrow night in the main common room of New College at the University of New South Wales. He's going to be delivering the New College Lecture. And it is around this topic, How to Find Yourself. Brian's latest book is called How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. And no doubt you'd be interested in some of the other books that Brian has written as well. And another one called Known by God that he mentioned a little earlier in our conversation, A Biblical Theology of Personal Identity. So to take things a little deeper, you might want to Google Brian Rosner and find some of the books that he's written. Brian, just wonderful getting your insights. I want to thank you so much for taking that time to share those with listeners today. And all the best as you deliver that keynote speech tomorrow night. Uh, thanks so much, Neil, and thanks to the listeners. It's been a privilege. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.